Welcome to the True Face Podcast, where we have conversations about what we can learn from what's going on in our lives. My name's Robbie Angle, and I'll be your guide as we learn how to increase trust and experience grace. Most of us get stuck in our relationships with God and others, and we end up wondering, is this really all there is to it? That's why we equip a growing group of men and women with a toolbox of teaching and experiences to help you become more fully known, fully loved, and fully alive, because our hope, our purpose is at True Face is to equip you to experience deeper relationships with God and others. And today, as always, we're going to have a guest, and this guest uh, is a newer friend of mine over the past probably two and a half years. Uh, we've got quite a bit of time together, uh, and it feels like an old friend uh, at more than two and a half years. Uh, Mike Acock, welcome to the True Face Podcast. How are you, man? Oh, man, Robbie, I'm doing great. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Glad, uh, glad it worked out today to get to hang out with you for a bit. It's, it's fun. I wish we were in person. We've had a lot of time in person, thankfully, over the past couple years of COVID. Uh, today is Zoom. And Mike, Mike is zooming in from Columbia, Missouri. Mike is the lead pastor. How does that sound, Mike? We'll unpack his story a little bit and get some context there. Uh, at Christian Fellowship Church in Columbia, Missouri, where he has been on staff for 20 years. And I've been learning from this guy uh, and processing because he's like a leader. Mike is a leader. It, he's just... God has gifted him as a pastor, as a leader. And I'm like, dude, what are you leading? I'll be a part of it. He's that type guy when you meet him. And what's been so amazing about Mike that I've been fascinated by as a a new friend is that he's been in this kind of number two role for like 20 years, but faithful and patient and just in the past couple months has shifted in a very long transition into the lead pastor role. And so we could talk about that a ton. We probably won't today. I'm going to, I'm going to follow you, Mike, on it. But Mike's been married to Jill and has three grown kids, uh, Jordan, Emily, and Simone. Simone. Yep. Uh, And he has been a part of True Face for a while. Uh, He's served as the high trust leader course faculty uh, and, and he's done all kinds of roles. We met when I stepped into this role at my transition in Atlanta, he was here visiting from Missouri. Uh, we have been in a cohort together with Bill Thrall for two years. So we've done yeah. weekend intensives together. Uh, I did a beta uh, True Face weekend experience, and Mike drove from Missouri to be one of 12 guys to dig deep over a weekend. Uh, so long story short, uh, I've got to know this guy and love this guy. Um, so that's the intro, Mike. Welcome welcome to the True Face tribe, which you're a part of, but the broader yeah. tribe, the podcast tribe. Yeah, well, I'm glad to be a part and uh, super excited for the way God has connected us over the last couple of years, almost three now, and uh, just all these moments that uh, we've shared together uh, really, really make this not a, a business acquaintance or ministry partnership acquaintance. It's, uh, it's a couple of friends laboring together, and uh, I'm super excited about that. It, it has been, Mike, your vulnerability and openness of the laboring part, which is it, which is happens in ministry. Ministry is laboring sometimes, and Mike and I spent 30 minutes processing that and sharing labors right before this call because um, 
all of us need community, need those guys that, and those girls that we can, can share the last 10% with. And there's something different in cohorts of like-minded pressure. You know, like if you're uh, an engineer, there's something that other engineers can share in regards to the labor side of ministry and ministry leaders. There's a unique dynamic there that uh, Mike, your leadership and your vulnerability um, as a place for me to process some of that the past couple of years has and, and and has been amazing and as i've learned from you and your posture in this long faithful um 20 year run at a church uh in supportive yeah. role tell give us a little context about that history before you jump into kind of the more recent few years of your journey yeah so um i think you know just to give you a quick quick history Early on, I was actually just with some friends last night and they were like, tell us your story. And so I got a chance just to share again that I started preaching in little churches, like one room building churches, you know, single pastor on staff when I was 17. Uh, and uh, I was, you know, called up and they're like, hey, I'm going to be gone this Sunday. Can you come and preach for my church? And I'd get paid 50 bucks as a teenager to come and share about Jesus. And, you know, I, I knew nothing. You know, I don't know why they let me do it, but. Uh, I had this real sense of calling to, to, to serve God. And ultimately that landed me in the Ukraine as, as a missionary. Um, and I thought that was going to be the, the 25 year, you know, lifetime call of my life. And I'd be in America once in a while to tell people, you know, uh, about, about the exploits of God in the nations. You know, that was, that was really kind of the dream coming out of college and Jill and I getting married and, and leaving and going to the Ukraine and, uh, then, uh, then uh, the, the strange thing happened that three years in, uh, I, I'm like, I'm ready to be out, you know, I'm ready, ready just to move home. Not because I felt called to America, but because I, I felt like I just lost the ability to, to really do that. It happened relationally, uh, which is, is what happens with most missionaries is you, you run into some kind of crazy relationship problem and, and then, you know, you, you lose your calling and, and you lose your place and, and, you, and you lose your identity. Uh, which we'll get into that one. I'm sure, Robbie, uh, identity is everything uh, when it comes to, to ministry and trusting. Um, so I landed back in America and did the most uh, or the least radical thing possible, which was to be a part of a local church <laughs> and to be a pastor in a local church uh, was the least radical way to follow Jesus. And uh, my my lead pastor at the time, who just recently retired, which is why I've stepped into the lead role here as um, he said, you're going to have to wrestle with God until being here is radical, too. Um, and, the, and the deal was, is you just our lives are always about finding the place of faith, uh, which is actually finding the place to trust God has ordered your steps to where you're at. Um, and so it became radical to to be a part of a local church and and to be a part of a vision, you know, of what would what would generation after generation look like uh, if you gave yourself to that. So so that's how I ended up here. And. I've uh, been on staff now, you know, been a part of this church for 20, 23, 24 years and 20 of those years on staff uh, in some way, shape or form. And uh, the last 15 or so, the executive pastor. Uh, but when I was in the Ukraine, uh, there was this wonderful little moment, you know, that uh, the Lord uh, said, I'm going to I'm going to teach you what it is to have a first rate ministry in second chair. Because uh, I was second and I was not happy about being second. Um, and, uh, I, I, I wanted more control. I wanted to be able to call the shots. I didn't like being told what to do. Uh, but the way our partnership was, I was kind of in that second chair and, 
the Lord's like, you have to have a ministry that comes that's first rate. It's always first rate, no matter what chair you're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not first rate if you get to first chair. Uh, so probably the long patient 20 years was God working on my soul to make sure that when I ended up in this lead position, um, he had done some real work in me uh, to make sure that this was not the role that defined me. It's just simply a role. So two massive uh, principles you just flew over that I want to spend about two hours unpacking each of these. One of those is changing the mentality of radical, trusting, serving God, being like, can I see the mundane or what would be seemingly complacent, safe, easy as radical? uh, Or do I need to do something radical for God? So I, I think about like the high school um, teacher or the accountant listening yeah. to this right now, uh, wh- what it, it, what does that look like for them in thinking of, I'm going to be an accountant and this is a first-rate radical trusting of God and serving God? How how do you do that? Because I, I, I just heard in my head, it's, yeah, but you're still a pastor. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I think, I think Robbie, the, the thing comes down to uh, a question of, where's the orientation of your life and and if you are orienting your life around what you're doing for god because at the end of whatever you're going to do for god you find him then you have to do radical things because god is supreme he's 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 out there he's distant but when it shifts to god is with you in every moment and his his love for you and your trust in that love actually fuels the moments then whatever you do is light stepping into darkness. So, um, you know, I mean, a picture that comes to mind really quick is, is Avatar. I think, uh, you know, there's this dark jungle and everywhere they step, it lights up. And, uh, and if you could imagine your life being with God, the very light of God in you, then everywhere you step is light pushing darkness, which becomes then radical. Um, so it's radical to stay in your marriage. It's radical to love your kids when they are doing everything you wish they wouldn't do. It's radical for you to stand in, in an accounting office or a construction office and, and go, my life is defined by who God has called me to be um, in this moment, as opposed to my life's defined by some activity that I'll do after work for God. All right, everybody, that wraps it up for this episode of the True Face Podcast. Y'all hit like the negative 30-second time a few times. That principle alone, uh, we can spend the rest of our lives waking up going, it is radical that Christ is in me. I I get to experience the kingdom of God in my life today. And so that's the equation. That's radical and amazing, and it's so different than what I wake up and what a lot of us wake up thinking, I'm going, what am I going to do for instead of, no, we're done. It's radical with, and that with the, the, what we're doing is so secondary. Gosh, y'all listen to that again. All right. The second principle before we even start this podcast (laughs) that I want to touch base on is, uh, that first rate ministry, um, in the second chair, how long did it take you? So you were an executive pastor for 15 years. If I'm you, I'm going, okay, about 10 years ago, I would have been like, okay, God, you put this principle on my life. I want to have a first-rate ministry in a second share. I've been faithfully patient for about five years. Okay, we good now? That uh, yeah. That's my issue. 
tell me like how long did it take you what did that journey look like or was it just like you were yeah. patient and healthy for 15 years as an executive pastor well the interesting thing is is when the when that little statement uh came to me um you know i wrote it in a journal and and i thought okay that's a that's a good thought i should have a first rate ministry and second chair I shouldn't be arrogant. I shouldn't be complaining, grumbling against guys that are in charge of, you know, whatever I'm a part of. Uh, but it wasn't more than a year later that I was completely out of ministry altogether. I was sitting in Columbia, Missouri working. I think my first year in Columbia, I had 10 or 11 W-2s that I turned in and zero of those came from a ministry position. They were all just working to pay the bills, man. And uh, and so then first rate ministry became a, a question of can you even have first rate ministry if you're not in vocational ministry um and so that was the beginning i think of god actually putting something in me um and then i you know then it was a slow process to even come on here um in our setting you know the, there was a there was kind of a, a season of which you you begin to do what god's put in you to do uh you're trusting him and then if people start recognizing that uh, then maybe we'll give you a title. But there's never titles given in our setting, uh, which I look back now and some days I'm like, oh, that's a terrible way to lead and we should have titles and people should have clear roles and all of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, there is a that ambiguous space of will I just serve God without a title, without recognition, without people giving any reason, uh, me having any reason for them to follow me. Um, but the influence piece but I didn't know all that language then, you know, I didn't have a language like that. And so I think over the years it became uh, a question of, I wanted position to lead because I wanted position to be able to tell people what to do and have them listen to me. Um, but what I found is 20 years in one place radically changes uh, uh, the calling where at some point I had to wrestle with, do I have to be a lead pastor? Um, and uh, I think in 2018, I took a sabbatical and some of the true face things had already started to, to really be working into my soul. Um, some of the, the principles of, of high trust leadership, the principles of, of just the uh, of understanding our identity and who we are in Christ um, and that we don't have to work for it. Um, those things were in play. And I remember meeting with the spiritual director during that sabbatical time and and uh, and he's he and I were talking and the revelation came that being an executive pastor was a role. That's all it was. Um, and if I was to become the lead, it was just going to be a role. It wasn't going to be an identity. And so God so graciously has just kept working in me to say um, your identity, you could quit ministry altogether and your identity doesn't change. Um, and so on that, you know, there's days that I'm really, I'm really excited to be a lead pastor. I, I feel excited to step into this because it's been in my heart since I was 17 to be a leader and to serve people uh, for the sake of their relationship with Jesus. But at the same time, stepping into this role, it, it's a role. And if it goes away tomorrow, Jesus doesn't go away. So uh, men and women don't make comments like that with integrity, uh, without a lot of work typically to get to the point where you can actually say that with integrity. And I know you, and I know you can, you, you know, that's from a position of integrity. Uh, and as also a journey that you got to trust God with tomorrow, that it, it maintains yeah. 
alignment with integrity. Um, I'd love to hear more of your story because you mentioned three years ago that sabbatical was an implementation of some truths and, and moving from head to heart in some ways. But you've been on this journey where what you just said is integrous and real um, in a different layer than a lot of us have experienced. So can, I'd love to hear more of your story and what you've learned over this past how many years where this has been a weighty uh, part of your, your story. Yeah, so um, I think I spent probably the first 15 years, uh, 10 years on staff here um, listening to John Piper, uh, reading John Piper, uh, feeling like he had a radical voice. Other guys that came along, you know, were pastors, but I had this gift of Vernon Manning and Henry Nowen uh, that happened to be on my bookshelf as well. And I would read one and it felt like it grabbed a hold of my, I'm going to use a, a term flesh. It's, it grabbed a hold of my ego. And it was like, yes, I want to talk like that um, about God. Um, and then I'd read Henry Nowen or Brennan Manning and life would stir in my soul. And uh, you would find this place where could I be beloved was the question. They were saying I could. Um, but it felt so much stronger to be able to, to say, well, I want to preach like John Piper. I want to be this. I want to be that. Um, but yet every time I sat down with Henry Nowen or, or uh, Brennan Manning or, or guys that are Jean Guion contemplatives, there was something that stirred deep in my soul about being loved and, and trusting that. But I, and I, I believe that intellectually uh, for sure. But the journey uh, to, to become beloved uh, actually to trust belovedness, let's say it that way. You can't become beloved. Um, that's, that's what we do in our performance is try to become beloved. Um, and so I think to trust our belovedness uh, has really radically come because of those early, early drawings of Brennan Manning and Henry Nowen and, and just what they would say in, in their writings about our souls and our longings and, and the deep places. And it began to like question, um, one, the performance, this, hey, I'm going to be this really strong guy, uh, left me hidden, um, and I had to hide everything. And the other left me exposed and said, just lay it all on the table. And so at some point, I was already long before I read uh, The Cure and, and The Two Roads and The, the Paths and, and having this choice, uh, I was feeling like, what if I surrendered it all to love um, versus performing? Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, somebody introduced me to, to the cure and in our church and, and they said, read this. And, and I read it and I, I thought, I, I've never had something that has affected me as much. Uh, I think the only book that affected me as much is the cure. And for being a pastor who should probably have some theological book or something like that, the shack and the cure are the two books who probably opened my life up to uh, a life of the beloved uh, that then goes and gets to do stuff with Jesus. Um, and so that's the journey I've been on. And so I started jumping into anything true face I could. Uh, I was high trust leadership course. So I was a, a student in that course for a couple of times. I didn't pass the first year, which, you know, I, I ended the 20 weeks and I didn't get a certificate because I didn't do enough homework. And I was like, what about grace? You know, <laughs> I was like, hey, this whole thing was on grace. Where's the grace? I should have passed. Uh, and then, but the, 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 the 24 pages of, uh, just the blog post weekly 
between us as, as students and, and then those who are facilitating our class, we were diving into places that were actually beginning to turn up the fallow ground uh, of our souls. The, the stuff that we had packed down to say, keep it clean, look right, perform, you know, be, be who you're. And all of a sudden you got this big plow coming through your life. And, and all of a sudden you're like, but this feels so much more life giving to just unearth all my stuff. And then to have people still love you when you talk about your struggles and, and uh, your, your pain in your life that's unresolved. And it's not that they're going to fix it. It's just that you get to share it and to have somebody share your pain or share your sin and not fix you, but love you. All of a sudden there's this draw to begin to trust love. And then, so that, that's been my, that's been my story, Robbie. It's just, just, I just keep putting myself in environments like that. Uh, because I, I found a few that really made a difference. And so now, you know, you mentioned vulnerability. Um, I think that's become a way of life for me um, because every moment you get to choose whether you're going to be vulnerable or not. And, and, if, and if you ever choose not to, you're, you're one decision away from never being vulnerable again. Hmm. How, is that how does that affect the way you lead? Uh, I cry a lot in front of people. Hmm. Um, you know, I can't tell stories um, with my, um, you know, I can't, I can't tell stories with my, my church, my staff. I, I, you know, anytime somebody's life is affected by Jesus, just telling the story is so impactful to me. Um, I share my weakness. So, I mean, two months ago, it was known I was going to become the lead pastor. And so I'm sitting in a room and people, uh, all my staff. And, and I said, Hey guys, I, I just need to let you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I don't know if I'm going to be what you guys need me to be. Um, yet I know God's doing this. And so I just want to lay that on the table. And, uh, it was amazing to have, uh, everybody go, we don't need you to be anything. We just need you to be Mike in the new role. Hmm. Um, don't try to become, don't try to become Phil. Uh, if you become the lead, just, if you'll just be Mike, we'll all go, that's still Mike. Um, you've been with us 20 years. And so living like that uh, and being able to share that opens up the door for, for my staff and um, all of uh, all the people that are walking in, in life with me to just go, okay, this is Mike. He's the same guy in every, every, every room, every scenario. It's always the same. How have you seen that affect, uh, you know, as you've been really deeply saturating and in in understanding and applying these truths of, of moving into trusting the belovedness how has that affected have you seen some shifts in your relationships friendships kind of community yeah you know well sin holiness righteousness repentance all those words are relational words uh for probably the first 25 30 years of my life they were moral words about god that I was supposed to be like him. So I was going to be a moral person. Um, and as belovedness has, has become a central place from which I live, I have to start with their belovedness and my belovedness and say, okay, something's causing us not to be connected. So everything is relational. Um, so right, righteousness is being rightly related to God. And then we have righteous relationships because God has made it possible for you and me, Robbie, to be rightly related to one another. If I do something that hurts you, we end up having an unrighteous relationship, which means our, we're just not relating rightly anymore. 
Um, and so then I either have to or you have to repent and turn back to one another to, to reaffirm both our belovedness in God and our belovedness to one another. And so I think for me, that's the piece that is the most challenging is, is, is everything takes so much more time. Morality is fast and easy, man. It is like fast food holiness. Uh, but, uh, but true righteousness and true holiness uh, is going to take a long time because we're working at the depths of our hearts, uh, trying to really become at peace with one another because Jesus has done that on the cross. I mean, Ephesians, the, the, the hostility between us has been broken down because of Jesus. And so if I know that, then that's a truth that I can operate with anytime I stand in front of somebody, even if I disagree with them. Um, and uh, even, if I, even if they've hurt me, I still know they're beloved by God. And so what am I doing to reach out over my hurt um, to see their belovedness? And what am I doing with my hurt and giving it to God first uh, to begin to heal me so that I can appropriately talk as opposed to re-wound somebody out of my hurt? You know, I mean, it's just those are all like relational principles that God gives to us. And, and in the last seven years of just wrestling with the truths of grace, wrestling with the truths of uh, what's it look like to actually live righteously? It's all relational, man. It's all relational. So, uh, In case you're listening to this going, huh, he just very casually connected, you know, gave a differing lens of righteousness uh, connected to right relationship. And righteousness is less about holiness, performing, getting ready, but more about the relational side that sin affects. Uh in case you're wondering and wanting to unpack that uh, deeply for another hour, you're not alone. I'm feeling the same way. I just want to share for anybody thinking that. We're not going to do that now because we try to have parameters for this conversation. But I'm intrigued and I have tension to want to do that. Uh, that that concept uh, is so significant. And, and you know, you just said through this lens of like now everything is viewed relationally. That's a shift. That's a major shift in your spiritual maturity and your own formation journey, it sounds like, over the past six or seven years, where you saw these biblical concepts following what it looks like to follow God, to be a pastor, to be a, you know, to do all these things, to be a husband, father. It feels like a major shift in your view of the world, uh, in, in your view of God yourself through a lens that uh, becomes a filter of everything relationally. It sounds like in the, in the, in, in what you're describing, is that, um, is that accurate that just the lens shifted in this past season? Um, I think, I, I think it's a little deeper than the lens shifting, uh, because there has to be a transformation in your heart to trust your belovedness. Um, that if I'm actually loved right now, and I have failed someone or hurt someone, then I have the confidence in my belovedness to accept that and to also say, I realize I've hurt you uh, or I sinned against you. Um, and so that belovedness is what eats away at shame, which actually builds the walls that keeps us relationally not connected. Um, and so for me, it's not just a lens. Uh, the lens actually has been birthed out of something deeper. Yeah. Um, that that's been transformed in my own being to say at the core, I trust that when I, 
when, when I lay down at night, I'm, I'm beloved. When I wake up in the morning, I'm beloved. When I fail in my leadership uh, in whatever role I've had at the church, I'm loved. When I fail my wife and miss her, I'm loved. And, and to the degree that I trust that, that God has made me his child and I am totally loved, then, then I have the courage and the fuel and the ability to actually stand in the face of my shame and go, this is what I did and, and it's not right. And so how can we make it right? Yep. Um, yeah. So that's, I think, I think there's more than a lens. Man. That's good clarity that the primary is the, the fundamental primary foundational shift in uh, your identity of how you see yourself as an adopted beloved son, no more earning Christ is in you. You are a new creation. The byproduct, the secondary is that now your lens shifts to see yeah. every see the power of relationship is central to everything because of the primary shift that is uh and we get to spend the rest of our lives you know becoming more rooted and firm in the primary of the receiving i am beloved i'm waking up beloved tomorrow i'm beloved now i'm beloved you are beloved and what is that how, how and, and therefore sin brokenness breaks the rightness of relationship made possible because we are beloved. And so we yeah. get to lean into that every day. Cause it's not easy. I mean, um, this relational thing, uh, and then I'll, I'll land the plane soon because I I'm getting more excited and I feel like my, I'm getting comfortable getting started. But, um, I, I was talking to somebody, uh, yesterday. So this is top of mind about doing this life of, of relationship as beloved and it's getting messy and it's tricky because the deeper you go, once you're like at the last two, three, 4% with somebody, you've got time, you've got depth of commitment, connection, the, the deeper you go in relationship, there's not a correlation between deeper and easier. <laughs> like it, it's almost a reverse correlation, uh, because these like as I watch you and going, man, you are living and experiencing um, and pursuing depth of of community and relationships and authenticity and vulnerability, and it takes time, like you said, and it's a patient journey. That's not easy, and it's not all roses. So I, I just wanted to wrap up because it's pressing for me. Of what have you learned, and what are you doing as you are applying these truths and experiencing a depth of relationship out of a solid foundation of belovedness and you hit messy. What does that look like when you get to the messy, but in the deep spaces with people? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think the, one of the things that, that I do is, is we've got an executive team, um, another guy and a gal and, and the three of us kind of do a lot of co-leading here. And, and, so when we get hijacked by those things and it gets messy, number one, we're asking the question, what's messy in us, uh, the three of us? Um, and so we, we have these lunches that we have every two weeks that we, we, we just, we get together and we go, how are we doing? Uh, what's, what's, this per what's happening in your personal life? How, how have we experienced each other? Um, I think that's, that's a big question is that when you have, when you know your belovedness, you can actually have the courage to ask somebody else, how do you experience me? Um, but if you don't know you're beloved, um, that's a, that's a dynamite question. It's probably going to blow up your life, you know, cause the answer is not going to be pretty. Uh, cause we all think we experience ourselves great and everybody else experiences 
nothing of what we're doing in, in our internal world. Uh, but I think we're asking the question, what's messy in me first um, so that I don't bring my mess to trying to resolve the mess that's happening in somebody else's life. I mean, just this week, uh, Robbie, I spent an hour and a half with with uh, somebody in our church and, and they, they've been a part of us for four or five years now and, and or maybe maybe even longer, almost seven years now. And uh, and they they just felt super disconnected over the last season. And and some of that, they actually were like some of the experiences I've had with you have you know left me ex- feeling disconnected. And so you're sitting in a chair listening to somebody say, you're the reason why I feel disconnected. And people that are under your leadership are other reasons why I feel disconnected. And I hear the words that you say about valuing relationship. And so is that true? And and then just listening um, and not defending. Uh, so I think I think our if we can just get to a place where we don't defend first, um, or even as you're, you know, when you, you're meeting with uh, Keisha on a podcast a few weeks ago, and she's talking about not rationalizing, don't just try to rationalize why they're where they're at. Um, empathize, go, go for the heart. Um, and if you go for the heart, you always find their space there that's common because our hearts are all the same. We're all human. We all have deep longing to feel connected, deep longing for people to affirm us. And so just go for the heart. And then work your way back up to the detail. Um, and so in an hour and a half conversation, uh, you know, we, we just listened. And for probably an hour and 15 minutes of that, it was just trying to get heart mm. understood. Um, and then right in the last little 15 minutes, I felt like the Lord gave me something that I could just say, here's a thing. Maybe this is possible. And so instead of declaring what's true, give give an opportunity for somebody to embrace what's true so don't tell them what's true but say could it be and just start a question and and then if the lord causes that to be real for them then they've they've discovered truth and and then that becomes their truth um but uh, man we love to shove truth down people's throats um instead of letting them discover it and yeah. that's the that's the journey that you've asked me about is how did nobody was telling me these things there was there was people talking but over the year uh the years here i've discovered the truths and now they're mine um and so i get to live them um as opposed to they're in the notebook that a bunch of people said so mike uh this has been so much fun and i'm i'm gonna go through this with my notes that I just took and I'm going to listen to it again because uh, you dropped a lot of uh, gold in there. And I, I want to give you a chance to leave uh, anything else you want to leave us with in a minute. Um, but uh, you referred to the high trust leader course. That's uh, we have these cohorts of groups of men and women uh, that do a 16 week deeper dive into the biblical foundation of what Mike's talking about, of being beloved, of understanding grace, like what it, like understanding how that is the truth. That is the original good news and really going through a deeper dive uh, in a group where you can process what you're learning. Uh, That's called the High Trust Leader Course. It's one of True Face's tools to help you experience deeper relationships with God and others. It's a 16-week journey, and we have some of those cohorts kicking off in January. So now would be the time uh, to sign up for that. Go to trueface.org forward slash h. TLC stands for High Trust Leader Course. Uh, starting in January, or email us. Uh, Lana is our dean and point person for that. L A N A at trueface.org if you have any questions. So, 
as we wrap up, I want to say thank you for this broader tribe of men and women who are going, who are on this journey to follow Jesus and to trust him more fully as beloved sons and daughters. So Mike, thanks for being a part of that, for being my friend. And what would you like to leave us with as we wrap up today? Well, Robbie, thanks for just an opportunity to hang out with you, do this podcast. Uh, uh, you know, that my heart is that people would step into their belovedness. And, uh, and where, that, where that really begins probably is just when you're reading the scriptures, when, when you're, you're trying to deal with words like submission and obedience and, and all of that, ask the big identity question first. What has God already said is true about you? What, what is your identity? And then usually there's a description that follows that says this is what that identity looks like on the ground um, versus we go straight to the action items and let me do this. And we reverse the scripture and we try to become the identity that God says we are. Um, and as soon as you do that, you're kind of off and running on, on the flesh and just letting, letting the flesh run rampant, you know, uh, in your life. And so you'll be exhausted. Everybody around you will be frustrated. Um, but uh, if, you, if you trust your belovedness uh, and trust that identity, you end up having space at the table in front of you for anybody. Anybody can come sit at your table. Uh, so I think it's, it's worth it. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, y'all. See ya.